And so looking at it, you can see that Nebuchadnezzar never really, some, some people asked me last week, multiple people, about did Nebuchadnezzar get saved and stuff. And I said, I don't know. We don't know if Nebuchadnezzar actually got saved because he worshipped many gods, G-O, little G-O-D-S. And he allowed God to be what? God uh, Daniel's God to be the God of all gods, he said. He said he's the one that rules over all things. And so Nebuchadnezzar could have gotten in trouble later in his life by saying that statement. He could have been killed for saying that statement by even the very Babylonian priests that were in his city because they did not worship the God of heaven in that sense, which was Daniel's God. They worshiped a God called Marduk. Not Marmaduke, that's a big old dog. But Marduk, they worshipped a god called Marduk, which was called the God of Heavens. He, a god of creation and the god of heavens. He was a god that was known to be called the god of 50 names. Because to the Babylonians, he was Marduk. He was also named Baal, B-A-A-L. Some people say Baal. I say Baal because it rolls better off my tongue. And so <clears throat> Baal was a false god. We know that there were prophets of Baal in the days of Elijah that were destroyed because of it. But when they get into the Grecians and you get into the Greek people, he was known as other names and other false names in there that we'll talk about in just a minute. And then when you get all the way into Rome, he was known as Jupiter. To the Greeks, he was known as Zeus. Uh, to the Romans, he was known as Jupiter. And you think about all this stuff, you say, man, that's, that's just crazy the way that they just renamed those things. False religions do that. They just reinvent themselves and reinvent themselves and reinvent themselves, but yet they still come up empty every time because when this one doesn't answer, we'll call by another name. When this one doesn't answer, we'll call by another name. Every name in this Bible about God, about our God, is not another name for him. It is a name that describes his characteristic. When you see Elohim, that means a plural, one united, but plural God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you see the word Adonai in the Old Testament, that means he is our Lord. It's not another name. It's describing who he is. They're calling him Abba. They're calling him Father. They're calling him Daddy when they do that. When he says, I am Jehovah, it's his only name because he is the I am that starts all, keeps all, and ends all. So it's not that God has multiple names. Each of those names, Brother Bill, bring out a characteristic about who God is. Amen? But when you worship Baal, and you worship Marduk, and you worship Jupiter, and you worship Zeus, and you worship these others, you simply have this God who you say is the same, but yet because they don't answer, you just recreate another name and recreate another name. And you know what you're on in that? You're on an endless cycle of no help and no grace and no mercy. The Bible teaches us about Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter number 4 to chapter number 5, there has to be this huge stage that's set for you for you to understand this. I promise you, listen to me, if you want to be a Bible student and you want to be right about the Word of God, you need to pay attention today. You need to tune your ears in because there are people out there in the world that are going to bring up chapter 4 to chapter 5 and the difference is and they're going to try to trip you up Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon for about 43 years he was not the very first king of Babylon the very first king of Babylon was Nabopolassar <laughs> right we call him Nappy <laughs> 
Nebi came in next. And the reason that Nebuchadnezzar came in and everyone, when they think about Babylon, they think about Nebuchadnezzar, they always do. It's because all of the, uh, the uh, empire of Babylon and all of the city of Babylon and everything they had in possessions were all blessed during his reign. And it became as big and big and big as it was in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar because he reigned for 43 years. He reigned from like 605 to 562 B.C. After his death, something the, the whole city began to unravel. And you say, I wonder why, Brother Steve. I'm glad you asked. It's because Daniel told him, Nebuchadnezzar, you're that head of gold. You remember Daniel chapter 2? You're the head of gold. But then there's going to be another kingdom that comes in after you. And then another kingdom and another kingdom. And so after Nebuchadnezzar's death, the whole system or the whole city and the empire of Babylon begin to fall down because the golden head is, is cut off. It's done away with. After Nebuchadnezzar dies, then he has someone that comes in. His son begins to reign in his stead. He begins his reign at like 562 to about 560. His name is Amel Marduk. Actually, the word in the Chaldean language or the Aramaic language, Amel, means evil. So this guy's name is Evil Marduk. You think about it for a minute. That's like, wow, who would name their kids that? But it was more of what he was known as. He was an evil, evil man. He was so evil that they got rid of him. His stint was only for about six years. After he reigned a little bit, they got tired of him and he was killed. Do you know who killed him? His own brother-in-law. Now, some of you are like, these people are crazy. These are like these reality TV shows that we watch on television and stuff. But it's no different. If Brother Carl was going to take the throne, and as he took the throne behind me, and he comes in after me, or he kills me, and he takes the throne, he's got to do something. He's got to immediately kill my two boys. That's the way that they lived in those days. Why? Because we kill the heirs. We kill the ones that would come up on the throne. And so they, Brother Carl would have his sons go and kill my boys and stuff. And then I'd come back and, from the dead and haul them all, right? No. But he would have all that done so that there would never be someone to sit on the throne anymore. So the own brother-in-law, think about it. If it's a brother-in-law, the sister had to talk him into doing it. Think about it, how evil it is. Get rid of him, and he killed him. And this guy's name is this, Nereglissar. <laughs> and we'll call him whatever, Glissy. We'll call him Glissy. He reigned from 560 to 556. Then after that, <laughs> then another one came in and he killed him. And his name was Labisha Marduk. And he was the son. He was very young, and he only lasted for three to six months, and then they killed him. And then you get back in line. I know some of you are going, this doesn't make any sense to me. No, family trees don't, especially when they're as crazy as this one. <clears throat> you know, it reminds me of that old 80s song, you know, heard it from a friend, who heard it from another, who heard it from another. You know, you've been messing around. But it's one of those things where it's like, well, okay, this guy took it, he killed him, and then this one stepped up. And, and people do that to me all the time. I meet people, and they go, Abney, Abney. Are you related to so-and-so? And I go, no, but my dad is. Because I have no idea of all of the different people. And then I talk to dad about, oh, yeah, you know that. He's like your third cousin, something, something, this and that. I'm like, I have no clue. I have no clue. I just look at people. We might be, and it's all right. Just ask them if they're saved because that's the main thing. But Nabonidus comes on the scene. As he comes on the scene, he's the one that just killed Labishai Marduk. He kills him. He's a young kid. And Nabonidus steps on the scene. 
He is a son of Nebuchadnezzar. And as he comes on the scene, he thinks that he's the rightful heir. And all these others conspired and did all of this stuff. And so he thinks he's going to come in, and they're the ones that he's the one they put in front. Nabonidus never wanted it. Nabonidus did not like the ways of the Babylonians. He liked the empire, but he did not worship the god Marduk. He didn't worship Marduk. Marduk is the Babylonian god that I told you named Baal. But Nabonidus worshipped the moon god. And you know what the moon god's name was? Sin. S-I-N. And still people worship that. He worshipped the moon god. He was so wild with his thoughts and wanted all of Babylon to worship the moon god. He was so captivated in religion that he wanted all of Babylon to do that. Do you know what the priest of Babylon said? You're gone. Get out of here. He was the king. But they didn't want to kill him. They didn't have the power to kill him. And so they said, we need you to leave. And so you know what he did? He actually went off into the northern uh, deserts of, of, of the Arabian desert, the northern area, into a place called Tamiya. And he went out into this place. And his whole passion was to go and build temples to the moon god, Sin. So he set out on his construction and his religious thing. And he was 500 miles away from Babylon. But he had a son. And his son's name was Belshazzar. Not Belteshazzar, that was what Daniel's name was given. But this son's name was Belshazzar. And that's where we pick up now. You look at it, and I'm telling you this. But it wasn't until 150, approximately 150 to 160 years ago, that we even had this name, Belshazzar, to prove it. Did you know that through centuries and centuries and thousands of years that people believed that we all lied and that we told lies about Belshazzar? They said that the only reference you could ever see about Belshazzar being any kind of king in Babylon was only in the Bible. There was nowhere that his name was ever mentioned as being king of Babylon. It was always Nabonidus. Nabonidus. He was the only one. And so you know what people do? They look at you and go, your Bible is wrong. Your Bible is fictitious. It's made up someone right here. Belshazzar was not king of Babylon. Nabonidus was king. But if you understand the history of it, and you feel know what we found 150 to 160 years ago as they went and they started digging up in Babylon, and they found the Ishtar Gate and all of these things, all of this beautiful stuff of Babylon that was from King Nebuchadnezzar, you'll understand that they found 47 different cuneiform scrolls, which was their writing, that had the name Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Belshazzar was king in Babylon, over the city of Babylon. And it would prove to us today that Nabonidus was 500 miles away in the deserts of Arabia and was building temples and all of this to the moon god Sin while Belshazzar was king in Babylon. Our word is true. And the problem is, is that sometimes it takes the world a little bit of time to catch up with the truth of this, just like it takes you and I time to catch up with the truth in God's word. And I want you to know that you've got a sure word of God. And the reason that Daniel chapter 5 starts with a king by the name of Belshazzar is because that's who was there. Amen. And finally, we've got proof to be able to show them in those cuneiform scrolls. If you look at this scripture right here, the Bible says that this uh, people look at Daniel chapter 5 and they go, this really doesn't make sense. 
You know, there's, there's scriptures in here that, that flow theologically. You know what I mean? By the, by the doctrine, okay? Then there's scriptures that flow in here by chronological order, which means date and time that it happens. You do know that the oldest book in your Bible is not Genesis, but it's the book of Job. But the book of Job is about somewhere in the middle of that thing. Why didn't they put it at the beginning of that thing? It's the oldest book, but the book that dealt with creation, the books of Moses, are in the first five books of the Bible. Because why? Because it's not in necessarily chronological order. It's in a theological order where God shows us the creation first, and he sets those things to be. This chapter 5 literally should be cut out of chapter 5 And four, this section should be placed behind chapter number seven in the book of Daniel. Because that would flow chronologically. That would be the time and the date. That's when it happened. And it should flow during that time of 560 to 555 B.C. But it's put here in theological order. Because when we get to chapter seven and end it up, the rest of the book's nothing but prophecy. And I like prophecy. You say, why would God put it in theological order? I like your questions. I love them, and so I'm going to try to answer it. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 37. This is where we ended last Sunday. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol, praise and honor the King of heaven, talking about God, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. He said, those who walk in pride God's able to humble. And the reason that chapter 5 begins with Belshazzar the king is because he needs to be humbled. There's still pride in the middle of Babylon. And God says, pin these words down, Daniel, and put them right here. I can imagine Daniel saying, why would we need to put this section right here, Lord? It needs to be over here. You put it where I tell you to put it. You preach it when I tell you to preach it. And you say it the right way. And this is a theological lesson. Nebuchadnezzar dealt with pride. Now look at chapter number 5. The Bible says that there's this huge feast. We're going to break this down. There's this sacrilegious feast that's about to take place. Look at that word. That's an old word that's not really used anymore. anymore. It's sacrilegious. And you wonder what that would be. It actually takes everything that's holy. To me, listen to me, if you want to understand what sacrilegious means, it's to take everything pure and holy of God, put it in a sack, and throw it in the garbage. That's, I mean, that's the way that I can remember it. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 5. Belshazzar the king. I told you it was him. Amen. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his priests and his wives and his concubines drank in them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. The Bible says that they began to have this party. And as they, Belshazzar, through this party, you can see as it kind of grows. It grows into more sinful and sinful and sinful state. Amen. Brother Brown, will you go get my hanky off? I'm going to need it. It's on my, my, not the wet one, the the second one, the dry one. That was from the first service. You'll figure it out (laughs) when you touch them. But, 
But he threw this party, and there is this huge thing that, if you've ever heard this statement, that when we sin, there's this snowball effect. You know what it means? You start a snowball at the top and let go of it. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes down that hill of snow because it gathers up more. The Bible even says that about filthy language. It says, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And what it's talking about is if you're always putting garbage in your mind, you're always pulling garbage out, always going out, it's just going to grow. If you're accustomed to saying these words, then they'll grow into other words. If you're accustomed to doing certain sins, it's going to grow into the next one and the next one and the next one. And just like a party, the party begins with only inviting a few people over. And before you know it, there's a whole house full of folks. And everyone is everywhere. That the dry one? Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, everybody's everywhere. And then all of a sudden, sin begins to grow. The Bible says that Belshazzar set a horrible, horrible example. The Bible says in verse number 1, Belshazzar made a feast for thousands of his lords. He invited thousands of his people. And look at what, it did. Look at what he did. And drank wine before the thousand. He set an example before them. And some people are going to get mad at me today, and some people are going to get frustrated, and that's okay. But this was not an ordinary party. And I want to show you how the party grows into more and more and more sin. This was not just your average everyday sitting at Chili's or sitting at uh, 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 O'Charlie's and all this stuff. This grew into a horrible sin. And I know you've got kids in here today, and I know you have children in here, and I want you to understand that I'm commanded by God to share the truth and to preach the truth. And so if you want to put your ear or hands over their ears over some words that I've got to say, I'm not going to say any dirty words. I'm going to show you something that was going on. This was not a party where they were just having wine to celebrate the harvest time as they would take the wine and put three parts of water in one part of wine and they celebrated the feast as the Jews did. Belshazzar commanded that they would come in and he was drinking wine before them in drunkenness. But not only that did he set an example, but it moves to this in front of his lords he did it in front of thousands of them and then it moves to what it says twice in our scriptures his wives and his concubines his wives and his concubines his wives and his concubines he had a party that was going on that started out as a gathering that went into a drinking fest that then eventually became a fornication sexual party that in the 70s they called it a certain name and you older people know what I'm talking about they were having a horrible horrible sinful party ungodly, and we ain't even got to the sacrilegious part yet, but ungodly things were going on. You say, Brother Steve, do you believe that? Absolutely, because the same translation helps us in Exodus chapter 32. The Bible says Moses went up on the mountain, and he was receiving the Ten Commandments of God, the Word of God. Aaron was down in the valley beneath, and he was fashioning a golden calf. It says that when Moses came down from off the top of the mountain, he said that they were eating and drinking and being merry. They were having a wild party. You say, how do you know it's a wild party? Because 1 Corinthians says that there were thousands that fell there that day because of their fornication. They were in sin. They were having a sexual fornication of what they call, don't let your pacemaker stop on you, but an orgy. Sin. Ungodly vomiting. Make you want to throw up. It should. This was going on. And you go, wow. And then all of a sudden, they take it to the next level. And Belshazzar says, I'll tell you what, we'll kick this party up even better. 
go down there to the storage house and get the gold and silver vessels that Nebuchadnezzar, my father. And when he calls him father, he's talking about the king. Just like the Jews called Abraham, Father Abraham. He's calling him king. It was actually his grandfather. But he was saying, go down there to the storehouse and get, get the vessels of gold and silver. And all of a sudden, they started pouring the wine into it. And they were drinking out of the vessels that were holy and separate and was placed there to do what? Only honor God. And Belshazzar, in his pride, was just having a party. But his sin was getting the best of him. And when sin gets the best of you, God's going to confront you. I promise you, I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea what's going on with you, but I'm telling you right now, if you continue to have a proudful heart and you put up a wall against God, you're going to be meeting him at some point or another. Do you like to preach this, brother? Do you like to talk about this? Absolutely not. No, I'd rather be in Hebrews talking about the grace. I'd rather be in John talking about there's no love, no greater love than a man would lay down in his life. But I have to preach the whole entirety of the Bible and tell you that people are in this kind of sin. They're in this kind of abomination. And listen, let me share this with you. What passes down, he had a chance to be an example. He knew what Nebuchadnezzar did. He had a chance to be an example. Did you know that the reason that people do not know what's right and know what's holy and know what's pure today, it's because we got preachers in the pulpit that are running around with people. It's because we got people in the house of God that are teaching Sunday school that are drunk on Friday, and yet they're in church on Sunday, but the kids saw you on Friday. And people go, what is wrong? Why don't the people want to come to church? The reason people don't want what you have and the reason people mock what you have is because you don't walk like you got what you have. Y'all get that? We're not walking that way. Hey, not only in that, but even in the, even in the pulpit. In the pulpit, we've got sin that's going on. And it's not even, it's not even hidden anymore. It's an outright blatant sin. I mean, we, we had even in our area, in, in, in the state of Alabama, we had a man who portrayed himself to be a preacher and a song director that went through four churches with adulteries with four women. And I'm like, why, why didn't somebody say something? Somebody call you up and say, Brother Steve, you know so-and-so? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about him leading music? I, I don't think I'd let him right now. Why? Well, I mean, this is the fifth church, Right? And you go, well, who are you? I'm nobody. I'm a nobody that's just trying to hold on to this. And the problem that people don't want what we got and they make fun of us is because they don't see it in us anymore. And it tears me up. They see you on Sunday, whoa, praise God and glory to God, but yet they see you on Friday and on Saturday, blankety, blank, 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 and this and that. You say, how do you know that, Brother Steve? Because as a 19-year-old boy that went into full-time evangelism, I sat with pastors. I sat with preachers that cried, Sister Joyce. They sat up here and they cried about the, the sponge that touched the master's lip. And they preached this boo-hoo message. And I sat with them at Denny's while they talked about their wife and grabbed the waitress on the behind and dropped the F-bomb multiple times. And I come home as a 19-year-old to my parents and said, What is wrong? I was so naive. I thought everybody that said they was a Christian was a Christian. And I'm finding out every day that many people that say it are not. And it's killing us. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. And if that isn't enough, we also live in the land of the USA in a society that is dripping with this kind of attitude. 
Years ago, I had a president that did not understand the definition of sex. On live TV, he said that statement. He needed to know what the definition was. And the reason that someone needed to know the definition was because that's what was going on in the Oval Office with an adulterous affair. Not only that, but in the last two presidents we had, we've had one that has such a filthy mouth that he can't type anything on social media without cussing. And I know that's your guy, and I don't care. Then the one before him, the only thing that he did many, many times, you know what he did? He invited all of the friends to the White House to drink beer. Multiple times to drink beer. Come and we drink together. Come and we drink together. And while you're trying to figure it out, it doesn't matter who it is. That's a president. That person should be in a leadership position. That person is not sinless, but they should strive to be an example of what a good citizen is. See, the problem is this. If we have someone like Craig Kennedy, which is the principal of our local high school, if he's getting plastered on Friday, laying out in his yard with his tongue hanging out, and vomit all around him because he lives a drunken life, and then he goes in on Monday and he tries to tell that student, why did you do that? They can simply say, why did you? That's where we live. That's what's going on. Now, Craig's not a drunk, by the way. That's just an illustration. But I'm telling you, that's what's happening. We have parents that are worried about their girls. I'm worried about all these guys are texting her all of these things and they're rude and the comments and stuff. And, and I don't know why they're looking at her body and you send them out with the word princess across their behind on their sweatpants. You just send them out with hot stuff on their behinds and you go, why are they looking? Well, there's words on her behind. That's what's wrong. And I know you didn't come to hear that, but that's exactly what's wrong with all of us today in the church. People don't want what you got because they don't think you got what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, example is nothing anymore. People go, what they do in their pride. Hey, just a few years ago, we had a governor in Alabama that said, we will not have a lottery here. It is against my religion, and we will not have a lottery. Wasn't months later that he come out with his mistress. I mean, God forsake. Man, the lottery's a horrible thing. But evidently, that's okay. So let me ask you a question. When that came out, that he had a mistress, what would you think about his lottery bill? Blow your nose on it. Right? Yeah. Well, when you stand up as a daddy and tell your kids to do one thing and you don't do it, you tell your girls to do one thing and you don't do it, mama, you're doing no good. Because I'm telling you right now, the power of example and what passes through example is more powerful than what passes through hereditary blood flow. Amen. See, kids don't understand how to do these sinful things because it's flowing in their blood and DNA. That's hogwash. That, if you don't know what hogwash is, that's a Greek word for baloney. No, kids don't do that. They do it because of example. And I hear parents say, well, as long as they drink here and do it at the home, then everything's okay. And I want to go, you foolish person, will you wake up? If they're going to do it with you, you've accepted it. They're going to do it wherever they want to now. And I'm telling you, example is everything. Example is everything. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, verse 4, it is not for kings. Oh, Lemuel. Uh, many, many scholars think that Lemuel, what he's talking about here, is that this is the name for, for Solomon. 
He said, wine and strong drink, it's not for kings. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Why? Why shouldn't leaders give themselves into the world standards of drinking alcohol and doing these things? Because we need examples to be sober-minded. We don't need you to be buzzed or, or tipsy or, or high or, or messed up. We need good examples. and We need people that think with their brains and with their heart and not with stuff flowing through them. We need examples. You say, what does my son need? What does my daughter need? They need an example. God, help us. God, have mercy on us. Not just in our homes. Not just having mercy on us in our churches. God, have mercy on the United States of America. And if you can't see it, what are you watching? Are you blind? We are no longer an example. And we are not, we are not exempt from falling and ceasing to be a nation. Just as quick as the writer said that the Titanic was unsinkable, that God himself could not sink it. It was in the icy waters. Not floating, but sinking. And I'm telling you, if we as the believers, let me say something. I'm going to put too much on you this morning. You as a believer, you are the example. And if you aren't the example, then where are they going to look to? They're going to look to other people. Kids today look to superstars and sports uh, characters and images and all of this stuff. And they see these people that are running their lives straight into the ground. And they need to see a mama and a daddy. Do you know what one of the things, some of you may not remember the Miley Cyrus and the Hannah Montana days and stuff, but do you know what one of the things that Billy Ray Cyrus, most of you parents know Billy Ray Cyrus because of your achy, breaky heart. Do you know what he said on Dr. James Dobson's show one day about him and his daughter and the relationship that is now strained and tore apart? He said, I wanted to be her best friend. He said, and I didn't realize that she had friends, but she only had one daddy. And I'm telling you, you need, you need to be the example. The words that come out of their mouth don't need to be the words that you speak, the actions don't sit around in there and tell them, you do as I say and not as I do. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life because they're going to do exactly as you do. Because the one, the old phrase, monkey see, monkey do, is a whole lot more powerful than that. Your example is important. Let me get through this quick. When you're messed up like Belshazzar was, you'll sober up quick. You know what it takes for a drunk to sober up? Just a couple of blue lights. Just one, woo! That's it. They sober up real quick, right? There was a sobering hand. The Bible says in chapter number 5, look at verse 5. It says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, and he rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Listen, he wrote this thing, and it sobered him up very quick. But I don't think it was the words, Brother Heath, that sobered him up more than it was the hand that was doing that, the hand of God. Verse 6 says this, Then the king's countenance was changed. Turn out the lights, the party's over. He, you, can you see King Belshazzar? He, he's sipping on that, drinking out of those vessels of God's house, and he looks over and goes, 
Do y'all see that? This is a Scooby-Doo moment in the scriptures. It's my favorite scripture. Look, it says his countenance, his face was changed, his thoughts troubled him, and the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against the other. Why? Because it's scary when you're standing before God. It's scary. The Bible says that it's a fearful thing to be in the hand of a living God. The Bible says that all of a sudden four things happened. His face changed. He went from <laughs> to hmm. The second thing that happened to him, the Bible says that his thoughts began to trouble him. Immediately, there was this conviction that came on him, and his thoughts began to trouble him. His mind was racing a hundred different ways of what is that and all. Then the Bible says that his joints of his loins were loosed. Many people think that this term right here just simply means he went, you know what I mean? No, 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 no. This is exactly what you think it means. He lost his bowels. He, he, look, I'm going to say it, and you're not going to like it, but it's okay. He TT'd on himself. Yeah, he lost it. He was scared to death. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand of how many of you have ever been scared that bad before, but I know, I know some of you have. He was scared, and he lost that. And the Bible says, the Scooby-Doo thing, his knees started smoting together, smiting, how do you say it? And they smote together, and I can hear him going, no, Scoob, what are we going to do? I mean, he was terrified. Why? Because God showed up on the scene. I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, if God shows up on the scene today, it's going to terrify people. It's going to scare them. It'll sober them up real quick, but then it will be over with. The Bible says in verse 7, The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king said, uh, uh, spake and said unto the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, king, in the kingdom, not heaven. In the kingdom. <clears throat> then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished the action of Belshazzar was absolutely senseless he did the same thing that King Nebi did and he called out for help from government he should have learned that they can't help you when it's a spiritual situation and he called out for all of these people and even said this. He said, I'll give you power. I'll clothe you with scarlet. I'll give you pomp and praise. I'll put a gold chain around your neck with a big old clock on him. I'll give you the third seat in the kingdom, a third rule. See, I told you earlier, why did Belshazzar say, I'll give you the third position? Because Nabonidus was out in the Arabian desert. He was king. Belshazzar was the second one in command in Babylon. He was king. He couldn't give him any other position, and so he gave him the third. I told you that the scripture is right. I know that you like that. So all of a sudden, what happens? When we're in trouble, who do we want? Mommy. I've never heard anybody that was in trouble or these kids fall out here and go, Daniel! They want Mommy. Mom has this intuition. She has this bat phone kind of thing. She has this intuition that something's going on. She hears the commotion. I can tell you right now that I did things on a Friday. Dad wakes me up on a Saturday at about 10 o'clock in the morning and says, I heard you were over here. And I go, how, how, how do you know that, your grandmother? How did she know it? She's been to the beauty parlor this morning. My granny knew. 
My mama might not have known, but she had backup help, backup forces. My grandmother knew everything because of the beauty parlor. Listen, the Bible says, look at these words, the reason that his mother, she's going to give him a sincere, there's a sincere word. I'm, I'm making Patty nervous and going everywhere, but he's going to give a sincere word. Here's the reason that the mother came in. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lord, she heard him. She heard his commotion. She heard his yelling for all of the astrologers. She came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy tr thoughts trouble thee, nor the countenance be changed. This is great about this. If you don't see this in the scripture, let me help you out. If she comes into the banquet house, that means that she had no part with the party. That means she wasn't down there with them dancing around and doing all the stuff and drinking with them. She had to get up from her bed and come down and to see what was going on. Amen. And I'd rather be a daddy and a mama that has to get up and go out and see what's going on than to be the one that's participating with them. She comes down and says all of these things. Listen, listen to this reverent mama. This mama speaks with such reverence. It's one of those moms that you like to have. To, you know, she's not head bobbing and snapping her fingers or anything like that. She's coming at him and giving him truth. Listen to what she says. There's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of gods was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And listen to what she says about Daniel. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named, listen to this, whom the king named Belteshazzar. But listen to this, Mama. She said, now let Daniel be called. And you say, that's really nothing, but it is. Because Nebuchadnezzar named him Belteshazzar. Actually, Ashpenaz, the king of the eunuchs, or the prince over the eunuchs, named him this so that it would be more appealing to Nebuchadnezzar. And he named him Belteshazzar. Why? Because he's saying, Baal is my judge, or Marduk is my judge. But Daniel's name in the Hebrew, Daniel means God is my judge. And this mother knew Daniel's God was greater than what Nebuchadnezzar named him. And she said, so call Daniel. She didn't say call Belteshazzar. She said, call Daniel. And the Bible says that he was called. Now I want you to hear this spoiled, irreverent king. He is so disobedient in his irreverence. It's from Belshazzar. Look at verse number 13. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, look at these words, art thou that Daniel? You smart aleck. Art thou that Daniel? And look at these words. It's so amazing, appalling. He says, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? You say, what is he talking about? Immediately in that next statement, when he says, art thou that Daniel that everyone's talking about, he goes to the next statement and says, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah. And what he was saying right there, Sister Laura, is that my name is Belshazzar. I am king. I am second in command here. And don't forget, Daniel, you're nothing but a slave. And not only did Nebuchadnezzar bring you out as a slave, but he also delivered you from that Jewry, that Judaism. He delivered you from that stuff. He's still mocking God. Still mocking God. And the Bible says right here, I've even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. They never could seem to come to the fact that it wasn't the spirit of the gods that was in Daniel. It was God that was in Daniel. 
And he said, And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation to the king or of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, listen, he offers the same thing. I'll clothe you with scarlet. I'll give you a great gold chain about your neck. And you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel said, No. I'm going to share with you what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold. And now Daniel's going to close with this last point. The severed kingdom. He said that head of gold is over, buddy. It's done away with. And you need to really lean in and pay attention on these last things. Please, just give me time. Chapter 5, look at verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts. That's my terminology, but that's what he said. That's pole barn. He said, let thy gifts be to thyself. Keep your gifts and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known unto him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would slew, he slew, or excuse me, whom he would, he slew, and whom he would... whom he would, he kept alive, and, uh, and whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed or disposed of from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Look at these next words. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses or the donkeys out in the field. They fed him with grass like an oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until something happened, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. He said, don't you remember Nebuchadnezzar? You know every story about Nebuchadnezzar. You call him father, although he's grandfather, because he was the king of all your kings of Babylon. Don't you know the story of what happened to him? Have you forgotten that it wasn't all about the pomp and the glory and all of that, but that he actually lived seven years like a wild animal, eating grass on his hands and feet and his fingernails growing long and the dew watering him and falling on him? For seven years he lived like an animal. Do you not remember that because he didn't glorify God as God? He said, but then he came to his senses. And he realized that God puts over the kingdoms whoever he wants to put over the kingdoms. He told him that. And then look, the Bible says that Daniel chapter 5 verse 22. And thou his son. And thou his descendant. And thou the next king in line, O Belshazzar. You've not humbled thine heart. Though thou knewest, look at these words, all this he said you knew better I, I don't know how you were raised but I can tell you how I was raised when I did something wrong that I knew I knew <laughs> I knew it was disobedient I'd come home and when dad knew about it and found out about it and give the speech you knew better you'd hear that you remember that anybody ever know you knew better and I would be like just whip me just beat me just punch me just do whatever just get it over with because i didn't want to hear you knew better you knew better because it was a constant reminder of 
that my disobedience, I knew better, but I did it anyway because I did what I wanted to do. He says right here, you've not humbled your heart, though thou knewest all of this. Look at these next words. He says, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver, gold, brass, iron, wood, stone, which see not, nor hear, nor have any knowledge at all. They don't even know. He said, you've done all these things. He says, and the God in whose hand hand thy breath is, he says, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified him, or hast thou not glorified. He said, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten times in those scriptures, nine or ten times in those scriptures, he says, thou, thy, thyself, thine, thy, thy, thy. So no matter what you want to do, if you want to call Montel and you want to call Dr. Phil and go on there and blame your mother and your daddy for everything that's wrong with you, you can do that today in the American society. But according to God, you made a choice. It's not a pass down through the bloodline of generations and generations and generations. It may be passed down by example of what you see, but we all have a choice. I had a friend one time that told everyone when we were in sin, told everyone that they held him down and poured it in his eyes. I was, like, I was amazed because I watched it pour in his mouth and nobody poured it in there. People... When we're in sin and we get caught, we begin to lie. We begin to back up and crawfish, what we say in the south. We begin to go backwards and do all that stuff. And you know what God said to David? You're the man. You know what God said to Jacob? It's you. You know what God said to Esau? It's you. Pharaoh? It's you. You know what he tells Satan? It's you. And that's exactly what was told to Belshazzar. You did it. You did it. While you may want to take people down with you when you stand before God, you will not be able to. You will stand before him alone. And he said, you did it, and you knew all of this. You knew it all. I'm asking you today, church. You knew it. And he said, and you deliberately, you deliberately worshiped gods of gold Stone, silver, wood that can't think, can't talk, can't speak. And then he says this powerful scripture. There is so much power in the scripture. He says, and the God in whose hand thy breath is. He said, and the God who holds your very breath, you didn't choose to glorify. He says, God, God gave us life. He breathed the breath of life into Adam. We all have life because of God. And if you look at this scripture, it says, Our life, our breath is in the hand of God. And at any moment, he could release that. And you will be gone. And you have no more opportunity. No more opportunity to repent or to do the right thing. Listen to what the word said. He said, let me, let me share with you what the word of God is, Belshazzar. In verse 25, he said, this is the writing. Mine, mine, tekel, you parson. He said, this is what it means. He says, first of all, 
Mine means this. God has numbered your kingdom and it's finished. Babylon, it's finished. God's numbered it and the days are up. Because in a minute, the Medes, Darius of the Medes is fixing to come in and kill Belshazzar. You know how they did it, Brother Bill? They took the water flow that came through the city and they dammed it up and re, re, uh, routed it, re-diverted it another way and the armies came in underneath the wall and killed them. Kind of like the story of the Trojan horse that they all hid in, went in, killed them. That night, he's fixing to die. And God says the, the kingdom's been numbered and it's finished. Let me read you this scripture. It's probably one of the saddest scriptures you'll ever read. And it's in Proverbs 6. It says, a naughty person, a wicked one, or a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth, walks in pride, a person whose heart's evil. Look at the next statement he makes. He winketh with his eyes and speaketh with his feet and teacheth with his fingers. What he's talking about is smooth. Smooth talk, wink. Everything seems to be okay. But then it says, but forwardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually, and he sows discord. And what he does is, is he goes over to you, Jacob, and he winks and shakes your hand. And yeah, you're the man, you're the man. And then he goes behind you to Laura and he sows a seed of discord. He says something ugly about you to her and sows discord. You know that in this very chapter, the Bible says there's six things God hates. Yea, seven are an abomination, but six things that God hates. You know what one of them is? And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's the last one. It's he that sows discord among the brethren. It's he that goes around trying to divide Heath from, from Patrick and Patrick from, from Jerry and Jerry from Robbie and sowing little seeds of discord because they're lying and they're acting like Satan. But listen, here is the saddest scripture. All these things are happening. Look at verse 16 or 15. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. You know what calamity means, Brother Carl? Destruction. It says, therefore his destruction will come suddenly. Fast. Boom, it's over. But look at these sad, sad words. Suddenly shall he be broken, destroyed. The worst word you'll ever read without remedy. If somebody is in sin and lost without Christ and they die now, they step into eternity, joyous without remedy. without any help or hope. Belshazzar, your kingdom's numbered and it's finished. Belshazzar, the next word is tekel. That means that you've been weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. My dad preached to me since I was seven. There's no person I know of that wanted people to get saved especially his family, more than my dad and my mom. My dad would preach, and I, I hated hearing it all the time. You know what I mean? I hated it. And he would come and tell me these words. You're never satisfied. And I'd go, I am satisfied. Can I have $20? You're never satisfied. And I always thought that it was because of that, because I'd ask for money or to ask for a car or to ask for that stuff. I always thought it was that, never understanding that God was using that to get to my heart. Because I was like Belshazzar, weighed in the balances. And I kept trying, 
Brother Jimmy to put more stuff over there so I'd be lifted up. So I, I'd put alcohol in my life, put people in my life. I'd put pride in there. I was constantly trying to get it and where I would get to where I wasn't lacking anymore because that's what that means. You're found wanting, you're found lacking. But I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing that you can put on the scales that's going to tip it in your way unless you put God, His Son, in there. There's nothing that's ever going to satisfy. And then the last thing he gave him, he said, Perez, which is that you farce in your Perez. He says that your kingdom's going to be divided into two portions, going to be given to the Medes and to the Persians. And if you look at history, the Medo-Persian rule, you'll see that. And then all of a sudden, Belshazzar thinks that he's going to do good, and he gives Daniel this stuff. Look at verse 29, and we close. Then commanded Belshazzar that they clothe Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. And you know what, Brother Butch? He was king for a day. Maybe even less than a day. Daniel didn't even want it. But the next scripture says, In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. It was over with. Daniel wasn't concerned about having a throne. He was concerned about speaking the truth. He was concerned, just like he was about Nebuchadnezzar, he was concerned about Belshazzar. You say, what does all of this today, what does it have to do with all of us? And I wrote two questions I want to ask you. And I have to ask them this way so that I don't get distracted. But what was the cause of the fall of Babylon? It's pride. Babylon fell through pride, through the pride of the leaders. You may think we can't fall as the United States of America. But if we continue on our path of pride, no matter what, I'm telling you, God's not going to pull his hand of judgment back. He's going to chastise us. And judgment may come. And it may be a very sobering, sobering thing that happens. Here's the last thing. Why in the world do you still walk contrary to God in your own selfish pride? But yet verse 22 of Daniel chapter 5 says... You know all these things. If you know to do right, will you please do right? If you know to do the things of God, do them. I told you, I don't want to put the burden on you, but there are people looking at you. And I'm pretty sure out of a crowd like this that everybody has some kind of friend or family that they want them to know Jesus. And you've been trying to beg them to come here and hear the word and all that stuff. i got to tell you something, and you're not going to like it. But they're, they're getting Jesus. They're looking at you. That's where they're getting Jesus from. They're watching you. They're observing you. And you're teaching no matter if you want to be a teacher or not. Because they're watching you. So if you know better... Do better. Is it all going to be easy? Absolutely not. But the more we know about God's word and the more we know about how disgusting sin is, the better we are at Christians of staying away from it because we sure don't want to bring a reproach against God. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just for a moment, to bow your heads and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray where you are and come here.